okay. Um, <laughs> let me my do name it. is I know Kate. Just let me <laughs> let me talk. Oh my god. My name is Kate. This is the Gone Rogue podcast. I believe it's episode thirty-one, and this this is my little brother. This is James. <laughs> James is two years younger than me and um just I don't know I'm gonna you guys will get to know him on this podcast which is going to be a really interesting one I haven't got a plan James and I literally just got into the like on StreamYard which is where I record my podcast um it literally you can press live but and that's when things start but I just started live before even talking to James so uh, there's no plan. There's no front loading this. I'm just doing it as I like to do, which is we just jump in and start talking and see where things go. Um, in the deep end. Yeah. Do you have a microphone that can be a little closer to your mouth? Excuse me. <laughs> okay, I don't have. I want. I'm like so jealous too close. of your big mic energy. I got this little like. <laughs> Does that work? Like, tell me when. That's way better. It sounded like you were underwater before. It just needs to be in front of you instead of below you. Okay. You know Joe Rogan? He's like, talk close to the mic, and he like coaches people while they're interviewing. That that's me right now. Coach me. Like, be be better. God. Be better. Um, I was gonna interrupt you at the start because you're saying before the call that you don't have an intro song. I was gonna be like, no, 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 gone rogue with Kate Gordon, no, 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 gone rogue, and you're like, I was gonna do your intro song for you. Yeah, I like that one. Maybe, maybe something different though. I don't well, know. It's, it's recorded, so use it next time. <laughs> Perfect. God. Um, so... Okay. So, um, I feel like I feel like giving people background about you, but um, <laughs> your background is my background. I don't know. We're so... both. James is two years younger than me so we're we're only separated by two years which was I think really good when we were really young and then we went through like 10 years of hating each other and then once we like once James (laughs) this is the first time I'm hearing of this (laughs) I loved you Kate I looked up to you you hated me I was gonna say you're the older sibling so you've got older sibling energy I'm the younger one. And, and even though we got a stepbrother, so there's technically three, but they say the youngest sibling's the calmer one, right? <laughs> like the more you. loving one. <laughs> well, when you left high school and you moved out of home, which we went to the same university. So we moved down to Dunedin, which is a little town in the bottom of New Zealand. And it's mm. a student town. Like there's a big university there and it just, it's a really cool place. Um, but when you went there, I was like, oh, you're cool. We can be friends now. Well, I followed you. Like, I actually was quite aware. I was like, oh, Kate went. And because so unoriginal. (laughs) I just wanted to be like you. But, you know, because you did your um, student exchange in the States. I was like, oh, I'm going to go do my, I'm going to go do a student exchange in Europe. Of course, life had different, (laughs) had different. different And then you got arrested in university and weren't allowed to. I was the rebellious child. Well, funny enough, I've always thought like I was the rebellious young one. Um, and you were kind of a bit more straight than me. And then we turned. <laughs> I think we were always probably on par, except mm. that you would do bigger things like, yeah. and get caught. So I think 
I was probably doing, I, I think we were both breaking the rules, which, mm. you know, I think that's probably why the rules were made by our parents because they knew we would break them to a degree. So that's why they were kind of put where they were. But um, mm. I think you just probably went a couple steps further than me. Um, and then, yeah, would just be a little more reckless about just the way you well go about doing it. I actually have a video that I'm going to play because I found it this morning. It's um, Gabor who's been doing the rounds because he's got a new book out um, and he, I just love his voice first of all. And then he, he speaks so well about kind of like, I, I guess to a degree, the inner child, um, which mm -hmm. I, I don't like words that are very kind of buzzwords, you know, in like the world of talking about uh, all that kind of stuff. Like it just becomes a little bit wishy-washy to me, but anyway, um, I'm going to play this out loud and we're going to listen to it and, th and then we can discuss. Okay. Okay. I just need to make sure that it's going to play from the beginning. Let's say people who are raised by the same parents. How could you have, let's say, people who are raised by the same parents in the same way? One becomes a narcissist and one doesn't. Because no two kids are raised in the same family. No two children have the same parents. Do you have siblings? Yes, older and younger. You weren't raised in the same family. You were never the oldest child, were you? You've never had that experience of being the oldest child. <laughs> You've had the experience of the middle child, which is often very difficult, by the way, because mm -hmm. you no longer, you, you need to have the respect and authority of the oldest mm -hmm. or the cuteness and lovability of the mm -hmm. youngest. You can't compete with the baby, mm -hmm. you know, for cuteness. Not only that, when your parents had you and when they had your younger siblings, perhaps, they might have been in a different stage in their own personal development mm -hmm. or in a different stage of, the, of their relationship mm -hmm. or a different economic position. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, you never had the experience of not having somebody older in the family than you. You never had the experience, at least until your younger sibling came along, of the insult of I was the only one, and all of a sudden I have to share my attention with this young interloper, which is, <laughs> which is what your oldest sibling had to do. Yeah. You know? So no two children, not only that, even more importantly, temperamentally every child is different, mm -hmm. and that means they evoke a different part of the parent. So even if the parent loves the kid, the kids equally, which is not, I'm not questioning, they will not respond to the child the same way. The child will not evoke the same responses from the parent, okay. one child or the other. So no two kids have the same parents. How could you have? How mm. cool is that? And I think that's something that you and I have kind of spoken about. We joke about being the oldest and the youngest and being very true to those labels. <laughs> but um, mm. yeah, I just really like the way he talks about you know, how, how do people turn out so differently when they have the same parents? And it's like, well, the same parents doesn't necessarily mean the same upbringing. Yes, some of the environmental facts, factors were the same, but the way that you were treated, the way that you inter interacted with your parents and your siblings, and the part where you evoke a different part of your parent is so <clears throat> true. So true. Like, I think you got the side of our parents that were like the disciplinary sides. Plus, then when our stepmom came into the picture when you were 14, I was 16, you got a very different side of that experience, too. So, like, our lives, even though we grew up in the same house with two parents who were the same people, our lives were like totally different. Mm. It's so interesting. Like, I always come back to, um, <clears throat> I get really interested in our parents' divorce. Like, I think I remember talking to you about this um, and tell me to stop if it's not appropriate. Um, but when mom and dad divorced and we were talking a couple months ago about, you know, we heard her cry for like a year down the hallways. Mm -hmm. Remember that? And that was like, 
uh, it was like a howling and i was like do i oh. remember that that's traumatic yeah. yeah yeah right right so 17 years of my that life. was a significant emotional not just one event that was a significant emotional period where we heard our mum. you know like and and that's where we recognize that our model of the world of like we expect parents to love each other and be with each other forever or you know they, or our parents should you know be okay with dealing with their emotions was shattered because suddenly we saw our mom who just was like heartbroken and we we're like what the fuck do we do like what do we do and i remember asking you like because for me after that event i became anxious attached um to people i became really needy in relationships that was a really significant emotional event where i lent into emotions and i became to be um needing validation or wanting to be quite pushed into relationships and i remember you saying that to me and correct me if i'm wrong you were, that you were a, do you think you were more emotional or more controlling um no more more anxious um in my relationships and the need for for approval and for looking for getting craving intimacy with others yeah, okay. and if i didn't get that i would be terrified that um i was going to be left and i felt like when we were talking about it you said that after that event you became like avoidant like wanting to stay away from your emotions is that right or am i wrong there yeah, so that's a little part of my avoidance side because I just mm. became hyper-independent hyper to, yeah. to my detriment. Yeah, and I was hyper-dependent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny. I think that's just almost the separation of two years because it happened mm. when I was 16, you were 14. So you were in the at the beginning of high school, really, to a degree, or maybe halfway through, and I'm at the end. I was also uh, the youngest in my year, so I only had one more year of high school, and then I moved out to go to university. So I literally only had to stay there. I did. It wasn't like I had to stay there and deal with it. I could, mm -hmm. I could run away. So not only was the uh, framework of our parents' separate, separation um, advantageous for me to become avoidant because we would do week about, which I decided I didn't like, and I decided to do two weeks about. So I mm -hmm. kind of just was able to move the fuck away from one parent and then move the fuck away from the other parent every couple of weeks. And then after a year of doing that, I was like, cool, now I'm going to move the fuck out of the city and go mm -hmm. somewhere else. So I was never in your position where I had to stay there and deal with it and figure it out and get to know this new, uh, this new environment. Yeah, it was so funny because I said to mum, like, I've been talking to mum lately and she's been kind of going through her own that reawakening and stepping into her femininity. And I was saying, because she kind of recently started conversing, like being like, I don't remember much about that time. I was kind of focused on myself and what I was going through. She was kind of like talking to me. She was like, like, how were you and Kate? Like, what were you guys doing? Like, you know, was I there for you? And um, I, I don't know what the conversation was, but I remember saying, you know, mum, like you really taught me through listening to you like cry for a year that it's okay to feel my emotions. For me, that was my thing of like, it's okay to feel my emotions. Um, it's okay to lean into my heart and to express them. And I think it's interesting. I never thought about the fact that you, you had left university and I was there. So I really sat in there um, and experienced that from from mum especially um and how that affected me but i think that really affected me positively of course i, I definitely know that i would lean too much into my emotions and, and everyone was always telling me i was too intense which of course now that i've got discipline around now it's my superpower but it's it's so it's so interesting it's like it's never what happens to us what we experience it's like it's the lens we put on it right it's like, mm. how do we transform that experience to either empower us or disempower us? Because our stories um, are either fuel to burn us down or to make us burn brighter. 
It's funny that we never let the stories be neutral, right? Like there's never the neutral version of the story. <laughs> never. There's never At like least you're Gandhi or Buddha. Yeah, because there's never just the facts. Like we there's I've been uh doing a week of coaching with Brooke Castillo, who you've told me. Oh about all the time, yeah. Right? Yeah. So she's done a week of coaching. It's like there's five calls throughout this week, and she's done uh the five elements of her model, which starts with um circumstance. So we essentially were like, hey. What are your actual circumstance? And not the story, just the math. Like, give me the math. Give me the, the mm. data points. And it's like, I'm on planet Earth. I'm a, I'm a female. I am a daughter. I am a partner. I'm a business owner. I'm a house owner. Like, these things that are just straight up facts. And essentially what she does is she tries to pull out the facts from every story that comes up. So it's like you know, we've got either the good version or the bad version or the, the fucked up, I'm the victim version or the I'm the superhero version. And mm -hmm. what happens is when you realize that, you know, nature is just nature. The world just exists. Animals fucking eat each other. Like fires terrorize and like uh, forests and, and burn shit down all the time. And there are tsunamis around, you know, it's, this is stuff has been going on for a long time. We are the ones as humans that come along and place some kind of judgment on it. And we decide if we perceive it as good or bad. And what I really liked is she, first of all, said, hey, that's actually a good thing, that we have a value system and we understand how to assess things based on whether it's good or bad, because we, we need to know that information. So that's actually a, a valuable tool for us. If we didn't know how to determine between good and bad, we would be we probably wouldn't be here anymore. Right. But it becomes problematic when we create stories and we make unnecessary suffering for ourselves based mm. on our interpretation of events, which is purely a concoction from our brain and our, our thoughts, right? So there's the circumstance that is just what's happening. And then there's our thoughts, which is our judgment, our story, the narrative, the bias that we have, the the whole, the, the drama of it. And it's just so funny to, <laughs> to think about why, why we have such a hard time seeing through our own bullshit. Oh, yeah. I'm going to hand it over to you. That was okay. the end. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought you were like cutting off a sentence. I was like, oh, cliffhanger. I went, I went um, on a little bit, a little bit of a tangent. There. But, <laughs> but you, you know, I, I totally agree. And you know why? And, and, and when I enter the second session of my um, program with my um, clients, when we start to go into subconscious work, um, I talk about, the human consciousness being an interesting device and in that um, the brain is always, always looking out for what us to, to what to protect ourselves from, mm. because that's what it was designed to do. It's like, what do I protect myself from? Like, how do I stay away from, from things that are going to hurt us? So it, it hasn't been designed to, to thrive or to succeed. That's why we have to train our minds um, and discipline our minds to become a successful human being. It goes against our brains, 2 million years old or however old our brain is, you know, survival instincts um and so what happens very often in life is we have an experience in life and we react to that experience and it's like a, a muscle contracts but we never once it's safe let that muscle go again and then it limits our experience of, our, of life and so in my work that i do with clients one thing i mentioned is that freud figured out that if we can go back to before the moment that made us that muscle contract. We can heal the moment because we can remember what we had forgotten that would help us let that muscle go. But the problem is once that muscle contracts, then we've got that limited experience and then we're always looking out 
but what to protect us from, which is the story we tell ourselves to keep ourselves safe. So it goes against our survival instincts, our brain's protection mechanism to, to delete the story, to look at logic. It goes against it because we're, we're emotional beings, right? We feel into the emotions. So it is, it's so hard. That's why meditation is so hard, just to stop the chatter, to slow down, to question your thoughts. It goes against everything the brain was designed to do. I really love the uh, concept of like, we're not, we're not intellectual thinkers who have feelings and emotions. We're emotional beings who then think it's, it's just a nice reversal and a nice way to understand it. So on that, I actually was listening to someone talking about this kind of thing. And they were talking about, I guess, almost that moment. And now I do understand that everyone's version of that moment will be individual, right? Everyone's got their own unique experience. The thing that they heard from their teacher when they were in school, the thing that their mom said to them when they were six years old, the thing that their boyfriend said to them in high school, you know, whatever it is, everyone's got that moment, that thing, that that experience that happened to them that shaped them. But it will boil down to some bigger concept, like some almost like a sentence of like, I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of being abandoned. And I was listening to this person discussing this and talking about how women seem to have multiple different versions of this. Like there's quite a few different things that can happen, but men have one and their moment or their sentence, I guess, if I can kind of put it into words is I must not be perceived as weak. Do you think that that's true? I must not be perceived as weak. Hmm. Like how many men do you think that that drives? I don't know. It's so, I think a lot, I think a lot of men that are, you know, like it's such a great, it's such a great thing to think about. I'm going to stay awake thinking about this because I think a lot of men, especially in Australia, you know, what? it's a lie, especially everywhere in the world get stuck in their masculine. And when you're stuck in your masculine about breaking through, achieving, accomplishing, then yeah, you, you cannot be perceived as weak. Um, it's so interesting because I've changed my language around that. So that's a confusing that like, that like, intrigues my brain because for me I'm, I'm in my feminine as well so i don't really perceive things as weak and if someone says yeah like, I, I look at like that kind of old cliche of vulnerability as weak when we know it's power so i'm really about like i don't think there really a, ever is um that's it, it you have to define weakness in order yeah. to understand who that impacts and you could probably right. identify who is afraid of weakness and who isn't afraid of weakness based on how they define weakness because if you define vulnerability as weakness and not vulnerability as courage, thank you, Brene Brown, then I think you're going to be quick to find men and women. I won't say this is just a, a men's problem. That was just that what this person was speaking to was that. But I think that anyone who's afraid of looking weak probably has this definition of weak equaling something bad, being equivalent to being unsuccessful, being a failure, not doing well, not being able to find a partner, not being lovable. And it's like the things that they think is weak are probably the things that make them a human and make them more easily relatable to, um, make them make them open to connection, make them real, make them deep, have, you know, all those things that for some reason have become, and maybe not that they've become weak, perhaps they've always been considered weak because we've come into this modern world with brains that were not designed to be, you know, <laughs> dealing with relationships and people and businesses and, and internets, internets, the internet and things like that. We've 
we're brains that we're brains that evolved to like go out and kill animals and like provide food and make sure no one dies and and harvest things and protect people and create tribes. So maybe I, I guess weakness would have been more problematic then because it would have been a, a matter of survival and maybe that's when it was a bit more cutthroat and that was when that was necessary. But now it's it's not. So we have with this old understanding and fear of weakness when in fact weakness in in 2022 is is not the same thing to be feared as it was prior it's so true and i love what you said about going back to the survival thing because you're right like for a for a man they you know back in the day the survival days back in the day <laughs> like hunting, 40 million days, years ago you know, when you're afraid of being attacked by an animal um but you know you literally had to be physically strong like you literally had to be physically strong and and now the irony is that we've got this huge age especially on instagram of all these gym buffs and i was one of them um and um but it's so funny everyone is so aware of like um a lot of these gym insta bros and women um who we know are deeply insecure not obviously not all of them um um there are so many cases of really strong and um, strongly secure men and women who go to the gym and work out and whatnot. Um, you're a perfect um, case. But it's so interesting because when I think about strength and weakness now, like I can't have to hold it away at the gym now. Like, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's actually quite interesting because I think one thing that when I get told, this relates directly back to what you're saying about a men afraid to be weak or um, be considered weak and you know like andy our stepmom will constantly be out to me oh james looking skinny and you know like that used to really like <laughs> like affect me and it still does a little bit but i'm like yeah but all that time that i went in my mind i'm like all that time that would have gone to the gym goes into my freaking brain my heart my soul my spirit and that's where my strength lies so i think a part of me still like when someone says Say that, explain skinny, that one more time all the time going to the gym goes into your heart and soul as yeah, in negatively, it, it was too no, superficial sorry, because sorry, we were sorry. focused on. No, as in like my self-expansion. Because we've only got right. so many hours a day, right? And when we dedicate ourselves, like we really can only dedicate dedicate ourselves to one or two main things, like truly dedicate ourselves, truly live for. And uh, my experience from going to the gym and your experience from working out in CrossFit, you've got to dedicate a lot of time to that growth of that muscle. And so... I think about when someone says, oh, you're quite skinny or whatever. I don't, I, a part of me gets offended and then I let it go because I go, all that time that would have been spent going to the gym now gets going spent in the gym of my spiritual, spiritual growth, uh, growth, my intellectual growth, my, my spiritual, the, the internet, Spur the brain feed. Can't you tell it's working? <laughs> <laughs> it's working. But, uh, but it's, so, it's so true. Like I think it's like, especially for men, there is a fear of being weak. I think that is still that is still around, but I think anyone who who does the work on themselves realizes that true weakness, man or woman, is when we don't step into the power of who we really are, when we're not mm. connected to mm. um, our authentic core and, we, and we're not connected to love. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people approach the gym, and obviously I work with a lot of people around weight loss or changing how their body looks, and people approach that one from this pers perspective that if they change the way they look, that they'll find some kind of way to feel good about themselves or happy or be able to accept themselves, or they'll finally be able to wear certain clothes or look a certain way and take certain photos. 
So that's kind of the first problem. Like you're, you're trying to change yourself in order to change how, change your feeling about yourself, which it, it has to be the other way around. You have to change the way you feel about yourself in order to effectively often change the external world. Um, so that's the first kind of issue that we often come up against. And then the second issue is that the timeline that people place on themselves to make change is oh. never realistic. So, and this isn't a great analogy for any kind of change you're trying to make in your life. You know, whether you're trying to change your bedtime routine or your inner growth and all the things that you're doing within your relationship with yourself, relationship with others, maybe your business, as well as in the gym, obviously, or with nutrition. People come in, have this idea that they can change themselves in order to be happy. They have a timeline that is far too short for what, what the change really requires. And they have this expectation that they'll be perfect. And it comes crashing down so quickly and it can destroy people and they'll start again and they'll get through a short phase of the process and then they'll, it'll come crashing down and they'll start again and start again and you go on this like vicious cycle. And I think you're right. I think people go into it thinking that they need to dedicate hours and hours and hours to change the way they look to make life better. And the when people come out the other end of these journeys that they tend to go through with trying to make change, I think they figure out that it's never ending. You've got your whole life to give your body, you know, weightlifting and running and healthy food and all the things that you're trying to do to make it look the way you want it to look. There's no rush. You don't have to be perfect in order to make progress. And what you figure out is that you are never going to change your body. You will only ever be in your body and the changes that you might make will actually be so subtle that no one else will notice unless it's really significant weight loss or weight gain. But it's typically quite subtle. And again, I'll put another like little, hey, unless you're going to be in, like a bodybuilder or a figure builder, but I think 99.9% .9 of people are not. So we have to let go of this fantasy body, which when that I came across a quote that was like, it's time to let go of the fantasy body. And that just blew my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, I have this vision of my body that's not actually mine that I'm trying to work towards. And it will never happen because I only have my body and this is the body that I get. So fucking mm -hmm. tough luck. You better deal with it and make the most of this body because you get one life, one body, and you're about to fuck it all away, being upset with the body that you've got that carries you through this life just because you don't think it looks good relative to somebody else's body. Like how fucked up is that? It just, it, when I realized I had a fantasy body in my brain and my whole life was kind of revolving around like, Hey, look like that. Try and get that. You'll be happy. This will be make things better. People will love you more. Like you'll be more worthy. And it's like, man, what the fuck? So many people are operating from this place of got to get that fantasy body. And it's like, it's impossible. Most, most of the time it's impossible. And it's not a bad thing. I think that when people realize that not being able to achieve their dream body is not a bad thing that's when the real breakthrough happens. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I just love everything you've just said there. There's so much to resonate with. And, you know, we stand in front of the mirror or on the scales wanting to change the way we look, but we're never going to change the way we look until we change the way we feel about ourselves. And a couple of things going back, you know, Tony Robbins has this, he's, my favorite teacher of all time is who I trained under, obviously not one-to-one, -one, although that's Fine. a dream. That would be great would though, be, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, that's my dream. Like, honestly, I'm going to yeah. get to the stage, work with him in some way or capacity. That's their absolute dream. But, you know, he would always say um, 
people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in a decade. Yes. And um, it's so true. And then when we don't meet the expectation in the r- ridiculous time frame, we get it, we just cut ourselves off. We just like cut ourselves yeah. down and we yeah. fall off. Isn't and, it so funny that we're like, oh, well, if I can't get it within a year, then I'm not going to do anything at all. Yeah. And you're like, well, hang on. <laughs> and the, you, you, you know, prefer to do nothing? get zero percent of the way instead of like maybe 10 percent. wouldn't that wouldn't 10 percent be kind of good it's just so interesting and you know i work with a lot of like um perfectionists because i'm such mm. an imperfectionist um oh really are you well like uh, like for example like i need order and organization but i've got dust on the floor in my room i don't need to worry about the dust if the dust isn't gonna trip me up i'm okay like it's okay. Like I'm not gonna vacuum. I make my bed, but it's not perfect because I'm like that's just gonna take up energy. I just need just enough so I have a bit of order to get moving. But a perfectionist is someone whose standards are either so high that they don't even start, or they're so high that they start and finish, and it's never enough. And that's just that's a curse. It's a curse that never gets fulfilled, and the pain is just never ever ending. And so I've just done a. a written a post about this a lot of perfectionists become people pleasers because their expectations are so high they can't meet them so they go to someone else and they want to fulfill their expectations of them because they're lower and then they start fulfilling fulfilling them they get validation achievement but then they're in the cycle because they can only validate themselves if they do something for someone else and get their validation and so eventually they always burn out because they're fulfilling everyone else's expectations except their own mm. and it's just burn depletion to the ground again yeah and and i think even the external validation that you do get from like going and seeking other people saying that you're doing okay is it it comes with like guilt of not being able to meet your own needs i think that's something that again brene brown i believe uh, i'm finding a quote from her that was like um perfectionism is just a, a form of armor it's it's a protective mechanism and it's guilt and guilt keeps you down as a perfectionist like i think perfectionism the all or nothing thing people often wear that with a bit of like pride it's a bit of a badge of honor like i'm i refuse to drop my standards and i won't do anything unless it's perfect and like that's just my personality and it's the most bizarre thing because those are the people that suffer the most with guilt and and fear and and like you said like being having tendencies to be people pleasers and and not knowing how to do it if you can't do it perfectly. And unfortunately, I think there are very few things in life that you don't do imperfectly, right? Like, what do you what do you do with those people? Like, when you're working with a perfectionist, what do you do with them? Like, they've got a they've got a crazy short timeline in order to make some self growth or change or earn more money or improve their relationship. They're perfectionists. They get frustrated if it's not amazing. And like, wh- where do you go with that person? Yeah, there's a, at the beginning of my work together with anyone, I always say that the results you're getting are based on the actions that you're taking. And the actions that you're taking are based on the set of beliefs that you have. And so in order to change the results, you have to change the actions. But in order to change the actions, you have to change the set of beliefs. So at the core of any kind of change you ever want to make, at the core of it is your your beliefs about the world, about yourself, your values, and your attitudes, really. There's also something called meta programs. It's a whole different level. 
Um, but at the core of it is you've got to get to your beliefs because a perfectionist belief will be like nothing's ever good enough unless it's perfect. That'll be a belief in their brain. And all a belief is, by the way, is a reoccurring thought that we have mm. certainty about. Mm. And people are like, oh, yeah, beliefs, beliefs, beliefs. But when they actually find out what their beliefs are and they see it in front of them, they're like, holy fuck, that's been driving them. Mm. And then if I'm working with moms or dads and I'm like, this is, how old's your kid? They're like five, six. I'm like, your kids are in the imprinting stage. There's no separation between who they are in the outside world. They are directly receiving those beliefs about them that um, if it's not perfect, I won't start. You know what I mean? It's like whatever their beliefs are. And people just like, pe people really disregard the power of beliefs because there's a driving force at the core of who you are. It is the foundation of the house that you are building. And when you see those beliefs, um, whatever that may be, like I can't attract a loving partner or I'm not attractive or um, I'm not smart enough, those beliefs will drive you to the actions that you take, which drive you to the results that you get always. Mm. So the foundation of any work that I do with anyone um, basic that, that that they're a basic functioning human being is you just get to the core of their beliefs and then they see and the first thing that people realize when they actually see their beliefs and you reveal them is they're like holy fuck <clears throat> when you see your beliefs in front of you on a piece of paper it's kind of like journaling when you start journaling you see what you're written you're like oh wow that's deep and you're like yeah that's driving you so now let's change them and then you have to do the process of changing them and integrating them but that's that's where everything changes. And that's why people that, that go on those fat loss shows and they lose a whole lot of weight, like 50, 60 kilos, but then three months later, six months later, they put it all back on again. It's because they changed the actions without changing the beliefs. So the beliefs were still the same. So when they lost the trainer and lost the program and everything and the show, they put all the weight back on because they still didn't feel like they were good enough or whatever the beliefs were. Yeah, I tell a lot of people that want to compete at a high level, it's like you have to assume the identity of a CrossFit Games athlete. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I like the idea of assume the identity because it conveys the idea of you have to try it on. Like you have to just put it on and it may not be your identity, but you assume someone else's and that's how you adjust your belief system and your thoughts and your feelings. And don't l allow your feelings to dictate your behavior. You allow your beliefs to dictate your behavior instead. And so you operate from this belief um, kind of process decision-making decision-making process. I just said that the wrong way around. Um, and, and yeah, I think that that's such a, it was such a funny, I remember hearing that phrase from my mentor and being like, assume the identity. Okay. Assume that. Okay. Well, the, okay. That kind of seems, that seems too easy. Like it, it made so much sense and it worked so well and it was so simple and it was, it was something that I had been so resistant to because I was like, oh, I'm not really a competitor. I don't think I'll be that good. I think I should just compete to this level, not that level. Like, and it was just, you know, it was all these old beliefs, these, this, my old identity being like, ah, just simmer down. Like, you know, don't, don't try in case you fail. Like, ah, you're probably not that good anyway. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. and suddenly you assume the identity of someone else. And I've even heard this in, in, um, in like weight loss programs, what would a lean person eat? What would the healthiest person you know do in this situation? Do what they do. And it's like you can you can kind of change your identity by assuming someone else's identity. And I think that that ultimately with change, with whatever, and I keep saying with whatever change you want to make, but change in general, um, 
it's it comes down to like you said the beliefs because we're trying to change your identity in order for your actions to change to produce the results that you want so we're not looking at the results that you want and going okay what do i need to do to get those we're looking at who are you now that produces the results that you've currently got that you're not happy with and who do you need to be in order to produce produce the results that you want the actual results and the outcome doesn't matter it's the process and so we have to almost set aside the goals that people have the arbitrary goals that people have and actually look at who they are and how, and what kind of person they're behaving like and it's like if you can get someone to click and make that and get that to make sense to someone, you know, whether it's talking about like changing your entire relationship with yourself or we're just talking about losing a bit of weight. It's like it doesn't matter what kind of change to what degree you're trying to change. It still comes back to your identity. And if you identify as someone who can do that or as someone who can't do that. I 100,000 million percent agree. And one of my favorite questions to go along with like what kind of identity did you put on as i always ask people it's a real simple question is whatever goal you're striving for whatever you want in life you just have to ask yourself what do i have to believe in differently than i do now in order to make that change happen that will give mm. you all the answers you need and then you know you're right like assume the identity it just means like you hear this all the time it's like if you want it you hear the, the famous thing around being confident if you want to be confident act confident and there are three ways to do that. The first is your physiology. Stand tall, breathe deep. Then you focus on what's the theme of your thoughts. Like, what are you saying yourself to get confident? Um, what's the movie you play in your mind? And then what do you say about yourself? Like, I can do this. Fuck yeah, I can do this. I've done this before. I'm just going to walk up, tap them on the shoulder, say hello. And you do it standing strong. You do it breathing deep. And suddenly you're like, oh, I feel confident. You do. If you hold a power stance, this has been um, studied now. If you hold a power stance, any pose in the world that feels makes you feel powerful for two minutes, the brain sends um, a chemical neuron reaction to the whole body to inform the body we're going into that state and it receives the energy. So if this is what I do with all my clients. I'm like, if you are feeling shit, I always say like, you can't be depressed doing a handstand. It's, a, it's the same, but <laughs> try try being depressed doing a handstand. Impossible. It's fucking impossible. Try. If you've got depression and anxiety, do a handstand for that time. You'd be like, this is so stupid. What am I doing? But you're not anxious. You're not depressed. You feel like an idiot. It's a different state. Or maybe you start <laughs> laughing. And then you come back down. You're like, nah, I'm depressed. It didn't work. But it's like, no, it doesn't work because you're back up front now. But you hold a stance, a power pose of any type for two minutes. It'll change your whole biochemistry. Scientifically proven. Mm, or student it's, identity. Yeah, it's, it's so funny like that just act the way you want to be i think it people refuse to think it's that simple and yes there are barriers that people will have and it's not like it's an overnight quick fix that you just do it and then you're set no. for forever like i i think you know you we all think that you do something challenging you get over it you learn from it and you've changed who you are and you think that you're done now okay cool this is who i am now i'm good at this thing because i've done it once and what you realize is after a period of time it will continue to pop up and you realize that the healing isn't done. The healing continues mm -hmm. and it's, it's the work that you want to show up and continue to do. And I know that that can feel overwhelming because we want to do the work and to be done, but it's never truly done in order to be our best selves. We continue to do the work and, and it falls in line with trying to change who we are in order to change our results. We have to continue to be that new person in order to continue to have the results you'll only have the results for as long as you are doing those behaviors and you'll only do those behaviors as long as you pursue that type of person 
And it's a, it's a practice. I really love the word practice. It's become like my favorite new word, just this idea of like, hey, practice it every day. Practice doing the handstand every day. Practice the, like you have people do a high five in the mirror. Um, <clears throat> and I, it's just like these little practices mm. that are just a chance for us to step outside of our normal experience, normal existence and try on this new identity. And it's like those little moments actually add up to a lot. Do you have you anything know, to add to that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna shift in a moment, but I want you to add to that first. Don't shift just yet. <laughs> go now, go now. Then I like shape. No, There's so much to go. <laughs> um, do you know Liz Brown? No. He's one of my favorite motivational speakers from like the '80s. Um, he's a bit older now. He, he's just amazing. If you want to, he's literally, I think he's arguably the greatest motivational, motivational speaker of all time. You hear his mm. stuff and it's just like palpable. You just want to go but, fuck some shit up. Oh, no, he just makes you want to. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, no, he makes you want to believe in yourself and, you know, really go after your dreams. But not, no, nothing violent, Kate, nothing violent. <laughs> Jesus. Um, well, we shifted. Um, but he was saying. <laughs> Practice does not make perfect. He's the one that said practice makes progress. Mm. Makes mm. progress. Um, yeah. Oh, I really like, like that in this context. Ah, oh, yes. That just, I just had a little light bulb moment go off my brain. And, and again, it's like that thing. That's a perfectionist statement. Practice makes perfect. It's a perfectionist <laughs> fucking statement. It's like, no. I'll only do the practice in order so I can be perfect. <laughs> I won't, I'll only do it to be perfect. I'll only do it to the best. But, you know, if we ever completed, like if we ever reached eternal joy and love and whatever the fuck we're after in life, then what? We'd be happy for a year and then we'd be like, okay, like now what? We want because we need variety. We, we never were in this journey. Otherwise, we would get bored. We'd absolutely get bored. That's why you get all these famous stories of people that really had really hard childhoods. And so they made a, a million dollars, a billion dollars. And then they got there and they're like, oh, this wasn't the answer. <laughs> oh, it's, fuck. Like, it's like dad. Dad wanted to retire at 40. He retired and he was like, oh, this isn't the answer. He's like, I have to keep working. I have to keep doing something. It's like, you don't get to a certain age. You're like complete, done, like holiday. Check. It's like, no, yeah, check. It's like, no, that's why people don't get it. Like when you get extremely wealthy, people are jealous of wealthy people. I'm like, no, you, you do not want to be wealthy. Like, you, like, sorry, I'm saying wealth is good actually. But I'm saying if you get to that level, like, you think of a Dubai prince, you can have anything he wants. He must be depressed out of his brain because he can click his fingers and get anything he wants. He doesn't have to work for anything. It's like, now what? There's no progress in that. It's like you're at the top of the world where you've got everything you could ever ask for in terms of materialistically and externally, but you're not complete. So you're like, what do you do? And this is why you get these wealthy people that then go off and they go walk about because they've actually got to find themselves because they've realized that they couldn't find themselves in wealth and money and success. Yeah, I think pursuing a goal can backfire in that way, regardless of the goal. It's the same thing with weight loss or becoming a CrossFit Games athlete that fucking wins the CrossFit Games. Um, I heard Matt Fraser talking about that, where the moment on the podium, I've heard actually him and a female athlete, I want to say Christy Aramo, but I think it was um, a European athlete who was second or something a few years back. Both of them just saying, I was on the top of that podium and had this incredible sense of underwhelm. And it was really anticlimactic. And I'd been spending years to get to this moment. I had sacrificed so much. And standing there, I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything for me. It was, it wasn't what all I'd built it up to be. 
And same thing with people who lose the weight, like they get there. I've never seen someone like get to where they want to get and then be like, I'm done. I'm good. Everything's amazing. I'm so satisfied. They get close and then they're like, I'm going to move the goalpost. I actually would. I actually like to be lower. I'd actually like to be here. I'd actually. And it's like, yeah, it's so funny hearing about people having these kind of not arbitrary, but goals that are, I guess, maybe result focused to a degree. Because I think you're right. You said, you know, having a money goal isn't a bad thing. Like having wealth isn't a bad thing. Mm. Having a goal in sport or a goal with your health, they're not bad things. But I think if you have happiness on the other side of that goal, then you have a problem because you're trying to Mm. use the goal as a vehicle for your happiness and to serve your life in a way that's beyond what it's capable of doing for you. And it's like, well, I think the question of like, why do you want it is something people perhaps don't investigate. Like it's like mm. you just accept it inside you that like, well, everybody wants to own a house. So you have to have, make money and everybody wants to be loved forever. So you have to find a partner and everybody wants to have the successful job title and the salary. It's like, you just kind of assume that these are things that you should want and don't actually find out why. Like the goal thing is just so intriguing to me because yes, I think they're so important, but I also think that people fuck them up so bad. <laughs> well, do you know what they also fuck up is that we put so much emphasis on the result and the goal that we're never actually present in the moment of today because as we're talking about mm. and what I'm learning about is actually and what all those games athletes learn when they get that goal is actually success is when you have the small wins along the way like the small little moments in the day along the way as you progress like a little bit or you step back and then you get that step forward. You make a mistake and then you make up for that mistake and those are where the wins are. And it's in every single day that we actually have success because the difference between happiness and joy is I I don't really buy into, I don't really chase happiness too much because I'm happy, but more importantly, I think joy is actually the ultimate key because happiness is to do with, everything around you happiness is external it's like i've got a good job i've got a good marriage i'm in a safe country it's it's all like external and so that's why people were like oh i've got all these things and i'm happy but i'm not fulfilled because they don't feel joyous because joy comes from within and when your joy is from within every day is magic and one thing i've been focusing on is is tony robbins again i'm just like i'm such a fan but he says the secret to living is giving and i've got it on my phone every single day and right now i've been taking a belief from the richest man in Babylon and I take 10% of my income, which isn't much. I take it out in cash, <laughs> take it out in cash, which is which is a whole lot of money. <laughs> but if you can't give away money when you're poor, you can't give it away when you're rich. Um, Cause if you can't give it away when you're making a thousand dollars, how are you going to give away 10% of a million dollars? But I've been practicing taking out cash out. Cause I'm like, I got, I walk past homeless people that have um contact air mm. machines. I'm like, I'm so conf- conflicted. But I'm like, it just hit me. I was like, the secret to living is giving. So I'm going to get cash out. And whenever I see someone that's homeless, I'm going to give them money. And when I do that, yesterday I put a, a book into the community library with a $10 in it. I just felt so good doing that. And in that moment, I was like, this is success. This is happiness. Someone's going to pick up this book. And I put some energy into it. Really thanked it, blah, blah, blah. Someone's going to pick up that book, read this book. I put the I put the $10 in at a segment where I highlighted something I really liked about unselfishness or something rather. And they're going to open it and they're going to feel this energy and they're going to then go buy a coffee or something rather. And it just made me feel so good. Mm. And I was like, that was, it makes me always want to cry because it like, makes that. me feel good. It's I feel better feel because of you. Thank you. <laughs> but see, there's no goal there. There's no result. It's just being in the moment, really being grateful for what I have and giving it away. 
That's why when you go to Fiji, you know, sorry, you know, when you go in Fiji and all those kids are so poor and they're so fucking happy, they're just white teeth smiling. Mm. They've got nothing. They've got nothing and they're so happy because they're grateful for every moment they have. They're not chasing after everything. They don't have big goals. Yeah, we have such a heavy emphasis on the future, which, you know, I think is why we, and I'm going to say this as a statement and it's going to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I am not a doctor. <laughs> What's this whole conversation <laughs> been about, hey? <laughs> so many people suffer from anxiety based on the fact that so many people suffer from putting all of their time and energy and thoughts into the future instead of into what are you doing today? Like what is happening right in front of you? There is nothing outside of this moment that actually exists yet. Everything in your mind that is focused on the future or the past does not currently exist. That is not your experience right now. And you're dragging it in and pulling yourself out of the moment that you have to actually live your life. And that is really problematic if you are chronically focused on what you've got to do next week, what you've got to do next month, what's coming up next year, what's your five-year journey or plan or goal, what's the salary that you want to get in 10 years. What you know, It's like the, everybody has all the stuff that pulls them out of the moment and you forget to just not even forget people deliberately avoid the moment. People deliberately avoid just being in the day um, because Maybe they're not happy. Maybe that's part of it, right? Like maybe the anxiety is actually avoidance. It's like, yeah. I don't really like where I am. I'm going to focus on the, the future. And like, then that also freaks me out. So then I suffer in the present when it's like a totally unnecessary. I'm suffering twice because, hey, maybe I will be homeless in five years and I'm worrying about that now, but I don't need to worry about it now. I can fucking worry about it when I'm homeless, but here I am going to suffer twice for this. And meanwhile, I could actually be doing something about it in this moment. Um, yeah, I think the whole... The emphasis on the future is definitely a Western kind of problem, I think, modern day problem. Um, and even things like, you know, ADHD and some of those things that people suffer from or have impacting them. I think that I think that we just have lost the art of being being present and knowing how to act in a way that we're proud of in the moment. And everything happens so fast and our brains are going so fast. I, I noticed like myself recently because I'm launching ads on Instagram for my coaching and all the messages that come in. Suddenly my brain's like whirling. And even when I'm going out for a walk, I'm like pacing fast. And I'm like, whoa, slow down, James. Like this is the problem with like the digital era. era. Like everything moves so fast. So our brain wants to respond fast. We want things fast. And we've forgotten the art of patience and presence. That's the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, the patience thing that's come back. Patience. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's nice, James. Hey, Just bringing it's that all back right. around. Here we come. Get your credit Full card details for that. I'll charge you later. <laughs> um, yeah, the patience thing. Oh, mm. I think if we can marry results in the future to fulfillment in the present, then you're on to something. You know mm. what I mean? Then you've got um, magnetism to the present moment, and you've got a beautiful pull to the future. Yeah, it's somehow trying to make those because I really like the phrase seek delayed gratification because if we could figure out how to make our brain fixate on the gratification or validation or the reward that we get in the and this is where it gets fucked up right because the reward of some of the things that we do isn't instant and so uh -huh. we have to seek the delayed gratification of working hard to make money um to live the life that we want to live of putting in time, um, getting to know someone to build a relationship that you want to build and have 
family with um doing the exercise and doing the diet to get the body that you want in a few months or a few years so it's like we're simultaneously having to seek delayed gratification while feeling rewarded in the moment and i think what you said it's like it's like the delayed gratification has to feel rewarding in the moment the work that we're doing mm. has to be the reward mm. It's just, it's one of those funny things where it's like the people that I think do success the right way are the people that are really good at small wins, knowing that the reward is coming and letting that be the reward. Oh. Like knowing that, like, so actually I'm going to go back to Matt Fraser, who I said was the one who was on the podcast recently saying, Hey, I stood on top of the podium and I was like, ah, oh, this mm. is it. His phrase is hard work pays off. And I think that the reward for him is knowing like, trusting that hard work pays off and so doing the work is the reward because the hard work will pay off that his his mantra it is on everything mm. hwpo it's like on all the nike branding he has he has images of it in his house i'm sure he probably had it on his fucking phone like you know it's like that he's that's his thing that's his phrase hard work pays off and it just speaks so much to the the work, the reward isn't here. The reward isn't going to be here for a while. You have to trust that it's going to pay off and just do the work. And ultimately that work is you having insurance, almost like is your insurance. Like you doing the work is you getting the reward. Yes. And I think the key you put there, which is what everyone struggles with, is trusting, trusting themselves. Mm. Because everyone knows hard work pays off. They've seen enough evidence across history from so yeah. many successful people who've had nothing. But the key thing you said there is if you don't trust yourself, then you can't trust yourself to do the work. And again, it comes back to the set of beliefs that you need to have in order to trust yourself so that you can do the hard work. And um, a really good analogy, again, going back to like delayed gratification, the brain isn't designed um, to, to wait. This is why like, um, if you ever want to practice delayed gratification, get into stock trading because you have to train <laughs> yourself not to sell out when there's a dip. <laughs> which I think which we've all done. You, you learned the hard way, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> well, I've got one stock that I've held on to and it's, it's pay, paid me dividends. It's done a dip, but it's going to go up again. So I'm like, it's like, because when we see something dip, we panic if you if you trade stock um, or crypto and we want the gratification now. But if you can train yourself to put off and look into the future, that goes against the brain's desire to get things now. And you train your, your, your brain to wait and be patient. And then eventually... As we know, every 10, 20 years, um, the market changes or whatever it is. Again, that's that's not fact. I'm, I'm not a, I'm a very beginner trainer, trader. But it's like eventually it does turn and then you get the gratification then in five years, 10 years. But we're like, no, sell, it's dipping because we're not we're not trained ourselves to do that. It's so that's the marshmallow like, test. Oh, what's that? The oh, marshmallow test. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, from that? like the 70s or something. And it's these kids that were put in a room with one marshmallow. That's and right. if they could wait 15 minutes, they'd get a second one. And That's what they did is they followed these kids up. And the kids that could wait, the way they had to wait 15 minutes, the kids that could wait ended up later on in life doing well. And, you know, the tests were potentially not the greatest tests. It was like your... Um, I, I can't remember what the tests are in the US that they do in school. It's like your... STSTA or S, you know, one of those school based like formal testing procedures that everybody has. Oh, kind SATs? SATs. Yeah. It was like your SAT scores were higher, your grades, your whatever. It was like your level of education was typically higher. So these kids that could seek delay gratification um, with the marshmallow test did well overall. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole concept of like it's a test 
I, I really like that. So it's like you said the stock market, it's like, that's a great test. Weight loss, that's a great test. Every time your weight goes up, every time the market dips, every time you're offered another marshmallow, but there's one that you could have right now, that is a test. And if you can become aware that you're being tested, that this isn't a sign, this doesn't have meaning, this is just a test on your hero's journey yes. and you've just got to pass it and you're going to be on your way. If you just trust yeah. yourself and know the journey, like, and you just keep going, then then you pass the test and you actually get the reward, which is the second marshmallow. And I say that with a lot of people who, um, you know, aren't doing well with their training in the gym or feel like eating shit food. And it's like those negative thoughts, the fears, the self-doubt, the hesitation that comes up, those are your tests. Yeah. That's your inner person, your inner Karen, your inner whatever you want to call them, literally giving you an opportunity to opt out of the kind of person you want to be. And the sooner we can go, oh, this is that voice. Oh, this is my inner Karen. Oh, this is this is my marshmallow test. Oh, I don't feel like going to the gym, but I know that I should. And I've got all these reasons. I'm tired. I had a big day at work. I don't have as much time as I did before because I've ended up having more on today. Oh, fuck it. That's my test. I can hear it. I can hear mm. the excuses. I can hear the reasons to opt out. This is my test. I fucking got to go. I got to show myself that I can still go and do something. Same thing with cooking at home. Like, man, the amount of times that I'm like, oh, I don't really feel like cooking. Like, I'll oh, just get some Uber Eats or something. It's like, oh, this is my test. Okay. I've got to find a way to overcome this test. And like, mm. you know, it doesn't mean that I have to sit down and make gourmet meals every day. It's like I, the one thing that I've done this week is I uh, put it on Airtasker to get somebody to make meals for me and oh put God. their macros in and it, and it was expensive, but I got it. So I've had this whole week of like, uh, I feel, I don't want to cook. Like, uh. mm. And then I opened the fridge and I'm like, oh yes, I have yeah. meals. So yeah. it's like, cool. I can, it's, it then makes it easier for me to pass the tests that I get on a daily basis. So and it's the marshmallow know, test. I love that. And it's so funny because I use the exact same philosophy with my clients. I'm like, by the way, when we begin this work, the universe is going to fucking throw everything at you. Yeah. Because when we want to, when we want to change, it's like, always. oh, you want to change? All right, let's, let's, send, let's, send the, let's send the army in. Yeah. And I'm always like, I'll always ask my clients, I'm like, what are the biggest monsters that try to trip you up across the week? It might be anxiety, self-doubt, I'm not good enough. And I get them to name them, just like put a name on them so that they can label them. And I'm like, learn to love these guys because all they may look like monsters, they're your teachers. They actually try, they're trying to teach you something about yourself that you need to know. And I do this myself because um, I, I dealt with heavy anxiety and I still get a bit of anxiety. But when it comes up, I've named it um, The Veil. I'm like, oh, hi. The like, what Veil. Do you the veil. Ooh, that could be like a Netflix special. The like the, Like Jeffrey Dahmer, but The Veil. <laughs> Well, yeah, because it's like a it's like a, a a clear sheet that goes over me. It's not who I am. It's just a sheet. All I go do is pull it off, and so I'm like, oh, what are you here to teach me? I'm like, ah, oh, it's time to get up now. It's time to do this. But also, I'm like, oh, I learned to love my monsters because I'm like, anxiety gives me energy. When anxiety comes along, I'm like, cool, I'm out of bed. No need for coffee. Like, let's go do a run. Like, because I know <laughs> yeah. that helps. So it's like learning. My, my biggest thing is learn to love the hard times. Learn to love the enemies in your life, like within yourself, because they're teaching you because that they're helping you get to the good times. Like we always put so much like love toward the good times. But I'm like, you wouldn't be there without the bad times. You wouldn't be there without your monsters. So stop loving the good times less than the bad times. You need to start learning to love the hard times. And when you're in that moment, the way you do it is you go, how can I fucking love this moment? What, what's mm -hmm. the test here? What am I learning? Um, and if, you, if anyone wants a tool that's listening, 
when you're in your head, when you're all alone, because this is all good to talk about, but when you're actually doing it, like one thing that I do um, is if I'm in bed and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym, it's like 5 a.m., I don't want to go to the gym, or I've got to go on the shower, I have a cold shower, I have a cold shower every day. I'm like, what would James Gordon do? As in like my oh, highest yeah, self. Really like that. Um, what would James, and then I'm like, what would I do if I was successful? And I'm like, fuck. And then I have to hold myself accountable to that. And that's all I have to, for me, that's what works. I'm like, what would James, or I go like, my thing is King James. I'm like, what would King, it's on my board, you can see it. I'm like, what would, <laughs> you've just what got would this King, crown in the background. <laughs> I, honestly, I'd probably buy a crown if I, I'd get a crown. But it's like, what would King James do? What would James Gordon do? What would I do if I was successful? And you'd be like, King I would go Jimmy. King Jimmy. So that's something that Greg and I have started doing because we struggle with being non-monogamous because we're both almost inclined to be monogamous, which I think happens naturally, like thing. in a relationship. Yeah, totally. um, so we've got a lot of conditioning around it and we also have fears around hurting each other. So mm. <laughs> what we've started doing is what would single Greg do? What would single Greg wow. do? Because that I helps us it. find out and, and operate from the default, which is we are able to go and experiment and explore and make connections with other people. Like that's the default of this relationship. And it's really hard to find what our true desires are when it's barricaded around all the fears of, yeah. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to fuck this up. And so it's like, we just ask each other like, okay, well, what would single Kate do? <laughs> and I'm like, I well, know. I would probably go and do it. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, okay, cool, go do it. And it's so, so that's incredible. a nice way to, yeah, find your own identity within yourself and, and lean towards that. You know, and Kay, I so admire your relationship with Greg and Greg's relationship with yours. Like, I really am inspired and you've really opened my mind up. I'm like, oh, now I know what's possible in terms of, like, the kind of real trust that you can build with someone um, in a non-monogamous monogamous relationship. Um, and the, the, what's the word? Like, not experimentation. But the ability to push the limit and expand the relationships in ways that you can't necessarily do when it's monogamous. So I just get to sit here yeah. and watch you and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, like these are possible realms for me to consider if it feels right. And it's so exciting to see you guys doing that and hearing your tools and hearing your fears, but still working through it. Yeah, there's definitely a degree of like figuring out what it means to love someone unconditionally because mm. monogamy means that, you know, cheating is cheating is the death penalty. Like, you know, mm. cheating is the worst thing ever. And if you cheat, you're done. Like that's the end of this mm. relationship. So I love you, Indeed. but not if you do that. I love you. Mm. But if you have desire for other people, not okay. I don't love you then. Mm. And so we have all these rules around love that people have to meet. And um, it's funny because they make sense, right? Like it protects us. But I, I've definitely been exposed to like, <laughs> Greg's going to desire, talk to, want to sleep with, want to kiss, want to be attracted to other people. And I still fucking love the guy. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, I want to, I want to deny him that love to teach him a lesson because of how I mm -hmm. feel about it. And all that does is cause me pain, of course. So mm -hmm. it's been an interesting experiment in learning that I can love someone even if they love other people, which you're conditioned to not be okay with. Um, and powerful. I, yeah, it's, it's super bizarre. And then also learning that someone can love you even when they also like or love or desire other people and mm. letting that be okay. Like just letting that be all right and accepting that. And, and now what I lean into is I, I really like this woman who's polyamorous on Instagram and she talks about your vanity energy, which I feel like would almost be like, you know how you have the veil the vanity energy would be like another one of those little inner people. Mm. The vanity energy is like your 
I guess maybe your superhero energy or like your badass, badass bitch, like vanity, like I'm the shit. Like it's like mm. my cocky version of myself. It's just significant energy. <laughs> yeah. I so matter. Like, I'm the best. Yeah. So my vanity energy, like what I've trained myself to do and what I talk to Greg about, like it's something that we like even use with Dirty Talk. I play on it. I play on the power dynamic mm. of you can be with whoever the fuck you want to be and you come back mm. to me because you mm. know how good I am. You wow. know that I'm the best. And so it's like you can play on that vanity energy. So the more I can do that, the more it totally flips my head around yeah. the struggles that I have. Because I go from, oh, no, but I'm scared if he does that. I'm scared what it could mean and what if he likes them and they can do things I can't do and, and all those things to, no, no, go play, honey. Go play because wow. I can't wait for you to come back because you you don't get what you get with me. Wow. So it's like, it's a really fun flip on the thought process. And it's just a nice example of like what we said before, where it's, there's stories that cr we create and we can choose which one we want to lean into. And assuming and, the identity. And assume the identity of the vanity I energy bitch. <laughs> because, you know, like we, at the end of the day, like when we're born, there is no limit to who we could become. But because of the way circumstances shape and the decisions we made, we chose to become a certain version of ourselves. And so therefore it stands that we can also become different versions of ourselves. So when we put ourselves into discomfort. That's where we expand, we grow, we experiment, we try new things and we really reveal what's possible for us, right? Which is what you're doing. It's so incredible. And you're really like, huh? No, keep going. I lost my flow. You really interrupted. <laughs> you were like, and you're in like, Something, something, something. <laughs> well, you're in, well, I was going to say, like, in the most wonderful way, you're in the danger zone of absolute growth, of, like, tremendous growth. Like, you're in that incredible area where you're on the cliff, you're looking over, you're like, whoo, you're feeling emotions that you get when you're right on the edge of living. And then you step off and actually you find you can float because you float to the next level. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, it's you know, it's right next door to spirituality. It's like, I don't know if it was Gandhi or whoever, he, apparently he would um sleep in a room of naked women. <laughs> to, to um practice to consciously practice to release the need to want to have sex from his life because that was just a conditioning habit of a male thing so mm -hmm. he would sleep i don't know if it's true or not in a room of naked women every night just to practice not um making moves <laughs> imagine like, organizing okay. that be like <laughs> okay Hello, lady Sarah. <laughs> okay I, all right just, everyone in the room i want to everyone run this by room. you <laughs> everyone in the room everyone stripped down we're gonna be naked i'm not allowed to touch you okay my wife's okay with this. <laughs> it's all in conversation. <laughs> it's all we're going to assume an identity that we're all spiritually <laughs> enlightened here. In the meantime, he's just like, don't fucking touch anyone. Don't fucking touch anyone. Like, my, my boner hurts. Yeah, my don't. Boner hurts. Dead, dead puppies. Dead puppies. Yeah, dead you know, puppies. Really funny. Sleeping it's with like, my grandma. Fuck, fuck, fuck. I had the funniest thing I tried to do. Um, this might be a bit much, but we're in the deep end. I tried my friend one day, like a couple of years ago, I was like, hey, he was talking about like going alcohol free or chocolate free for a month. He's like, you've been wank free for a month. And I was like, no, he's like, it's like a spiritual awakening. And I was like, whoa, I never <laughs> thought about not jerking off for a, for a month. I got two, two weeks in and I had this boner I couldn't get rid of. Like it was like, it was a concern. And I was driving to my voice coach at the time. I was in Blacktown, like two hours away. And I had this bone of the whole drive. And I was like, this voice coach is like hands on. He'll like jump on and piggyback you to get you doing weird things to open your voice. And I'm like, if I can't get rid of this boner, I'm going to walk in there and he's going to somehow discover it or touch it by accident. I'm like, this is going to be a fucking nightmare. I could not get rid of it. And I was like, 
it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Like it was really, really hard. I don't know why it was hard the first time. I did it again just literally this year for a month, no problems. Um, but I think interestingly enough, because I'm spending so much time on my, my computer and online these days, it was easier because I've been reduced in terms of, um, I don't know, like digital media and stuff. Does that make sense? It's so interesting. The know about, I feel like that's becoming a more common thing for men to practice. Um, yeah. Even for women, like I know, obviously, well, it's funny. There's kind of two different paths. There's like the sexual empowerment path of toys, 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 toys. Everybody use toys. Toys are great. Toys are amazing. And then there's another kind of opposing path that's like, no, get rid of toys and not always rely on toys and find pleasure and sensuality and sexuality through other means that don't involve like, you know, crazy high amounts of stimulation. Mm. Vibrational toys are the equivalent to porn, really, like in terms mm. of how they stimulate us. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm seeing it a lot with men with regards to like getting rid of porn and yeah. not masturbating. I know um, one of the athletes that I follow, he doesn't, he's, he's been married for a long time and he will not masturbate outside of like having sex with his wife. How are you pronouncing masturbate right now? Masturbate? Masturbate. Masturbate. How do you say it? Masturbate. Masturbate. Masturbate, mate. <laughs> sorry, continue. Sorry, it just really stumped me there. Sorry, so you're, <laughs> sorry, I just really got caught up. Masturbate. Master, wow. master, master, um, master, master, master. Sorry, so I coach games for his wife, doesn't Yeah, it's just a guy that's on Instagram who, um, yeah, has like boundaries around when he masturbates. Um, mm. I'm calling you. I'm so sorry. I'm so Split the difference. Masturbate. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's kind of an interesting practice. Like it's. It's definitely something that impacts men probably more than women. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what was so you obviously did a month of um, a wank free month and then you've just done it again, and uh, is it something actually, that you incorporate into your life? Time. Like, you what? Well, every I actually did a different thing this time. This is again too much information, but there's this really there's famous no such rapper. thing as too much information. There's this, this really podcast. famous rapper who's really philosophical. He has like a feather in his hair. He's this beautiful black American man total gangster but he just on he, i don't like his music but on instagram he just drops these amazing philosophical truths and he's like he's like oh, what does he say he's like i don't believe in oh, what is that like wank free or like um months he's like i believe in edging like getting to the point oh. and not coming because it saves your spiritual strength when yeah. you don't come so you edge then he goes when you get to the point where you can edge and you don't come in sex um, then you can have multiple orgasms for men. So I was like, oh, let me try that. <laughs> I was like, I mean, spiritually, I was like, let me try that yes, for my okay. awakening. <laughs> so so that's what I did. I was like, I did the first month, no touching at all. And then I did edging where you weren't allowed to climax. Um, and that was actually really interesting. I find that easier, edging, mm. not climaxing, than not wanking at all. Mm. It's a very interesting yeah. thing. I think there are so many things that people can do because I think you just get, you probably just, everybody gets into these like patterns and routines and habits of behavior that you don't even realize that you have, especially when mm. they are things that like provide some kind some form of pleasure or just like some form or of stress relief. Really. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a tool, right. That, we, that serves us in a way that's potentially a lot in the long term, maybe detrimental or we're avoiding something or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think there's different ways that you can do it. Like I think for men, 
like you said, like edging, no porn, no masturbation, full stop, like no touching. I think also with penetration, um, not coming before the woman, making the woman come and deciding not to come at all. Like, I think there is a lot of different things that you can play with um, in terms of like pushing your own edges and pushing on your own buttons to figure out like, especially the whole like having sex and not coming. The idea of that, I think for men is quite foreign, but for women it's common. It's a common experience. So it's funny that I think so many men will be like, oh God, what do you mean have sex and not come? I'm like, well, how many times has your partner had that experience? Do you know what that experience is like? Like, have you ever had sex and not come? Like, okay, maybe you focus on edging yourself and and never actually coming like and 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 focus on her coming like can you do that is that possible like i just would be so intrigued at how that would go down for people you know it's so great this is we're coming full circle because we're coming full circle um coming (laughs) sorry wow um because it comes back to not trying to reach a goal it comes back to the process oh beautiful i I had a really beautiful friend joey who's just the most gorgeous gay spiritually awoken like yoga man he's just incredible and he's like you know james do you ever masturbate just for like do do you like have you ever masturbated not for the goal of coming but to enjoy the process of Mm. of like masturbating i was like you know like typically i just aim for the end result he's like try focusing when you're masturbating because when boys we just like we can get going and done in two minutes um because we just rush to the end we're trying to aim for um climax he was like try to really focus on enjoying like a woman with the whole process in fact forget about the last third focus on the first two thirds and that's the process and that's going to improve your sex life with your partner or if you're your dating life because then you're focusing on the enjoyment of the process because mm-hmm. that's what making love is to me is when you're just so connected, so in harmony. It's a dance and you're not even aiming to come because you don't even want to come. You just mm. want to really be in that moment, every single moment. I think men especially can learn that lesson by just masturbating for the enjoyment of the moment to moment success of masturbation rather than the destination. Yeah, I guess that's being present, right? Like being patient, being present, not having such heavy goal orientation like practices. Uh, I remember reading Come As You Are and The Heart of Tantra, and I'm so glad I read them back to back, or I think I might have even, I think I was listening to Come As You Are and I read Heart of Tantra, so I was doing it at the same time. And the Come As You Are was very much like tools and language to discover, like um, to talk about pleasure and sex and orgasm and and all those kinds of things. But it it wasn't necessarily goal-oriented, like it wasn't, but it was certainly around why it won't happen, why it will happen, what can help, what doesn't help, how to understand it better, and and observations from examples of couples that she's worked with as a therapist. So it was kind of revolving around, like, the the end product to a degree, whereas Mm. Heart of Tantra was very much like, Heart of Tantra, like, don't orgasm, like, just don't don't orgasm don't even get the guy hard like there's um soft penetration in tantra which is like getting a cock inside a pussy and just letting it go hard in the pussy wow. which is super intriguing i have not that done would that be but so I think exciting it's... for men to know especially when yeah men yeah yeah so that was a big thing for like men's performance anxiety and then the big thing for women's performance anxiety is not orgasming so it was like there was no focus on being hard and there was no focus on orgasm and it's like okay what are you left with now figure out how to have sex. And it's like people are just like, oh, my fucking God. Wow. It's just I was laughing then because I was just thinking of like a coaching niche where the coach is like a 
a perform a men's performance anxiety coach. I was like, the, the niche market of being like a man. It would be a man. That's a fucking market for sure. Yeah, that's a huge niche that would pay. Um, I'm going to do some work into that. <laughs> what do you do, James? I'm a men's performance anxiety coach. Oh, is that like high performance? Yes. <laughs> yes, high performance. So that like executives? Oh, I get everyone really. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's you know, actually funny enough, I had to train myself. Um, I had this really. Have we shifted yet? No, I, we're not. <laughs> so the topic that I wanted to go to was talking shift? about praise with kids. I think we might say. <laughs> well, maybe we'll, well say kids that. will come into yeah, this conversation naturally. Yeah, it will. It will make sense later and on the track. <laughs> um, I was. This is what well, I'm. I'm so glad. Yeah, we're great. We got to go down this conversation because isn't that what Gone is about? Exactly. We went. Fucking, fucking rogue. Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I had an incident, my first boner loss incident in university. Your first oh boner no, loss. Boner loss. <laughs> <laughs> That's a soft loss. I um, guess yeah, okay. okay you yeah. called it a hard loss. <laughs> it was a hard loss. My first hard loss. Oh and it really hits your confidence. Um, but I realized mm. um I was at this. How old were you? Um 21 mm-hmm. and this girl wasn't really like she was french and she wasn't like, sorry frenchies but this is kind of typical she wasn't very nice to me and um she was from paris so i feel like french saying? people would be proud of that she wasn't really nice to me and we slept together and I was a bit drunk, so I lost it. And I was like, oh, that's okay, I was drunk. But then the next four times, I lost it. Um, I caught her out, like, cheating on me. We, we went together, but we were right there, and I, I caught her, and I was throwing a tantrum, naturally. Um, so then I went, I was like, God, what was wrong with me? Like, what's going on with me? Like, this is a problem. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tie her up <laughs> to my bed. So I invited her around one night, stripped her naked, tied her up, like, to my four like corners of my bed like the little feet and like this is what i was like dirty dunedin scumbag so like there were no sheets on the bed like it was oh. a nasty room oh. i tied her up oh, like my tie my yeah, belt tie i don't know like probably some like happy little flag um just some string i tied her up <laughs> yeah just some like just some some of those light. plastic bits that connect cans together <laughs> a plastic bag <laughs> we just whatever i could find and i had it tied up I was like, here we go. And the first 10 minutes was great. I was like, oh, yeah, like, um, this is just enjoying this. And I was like, I'm not getting hard right now. Like, nothing's happening. 20 minutes go by. I'm like, I am soft as a baby's bum. Metaphor. <laughs> 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 I'm bringing out the kids. You said bring out the kids. Praise the kids. <laughs> and, and we got 30 minutes in. And it was very clear that I should have untied her at least, like, I don't know, made, made the next move. <laughs> She's still tied up? It's oh, still, my God. Like, her arms are hurting. She's like, I'm oh not enjoying this. And also, it wasn't a sexy type. It was, like, starfish. Like, very vulnerable. That's like tie-up 101. Don't leave the tie for too long. <laughs> like, oh hands God, are red. It's like the blood's gone out. Oh, my She's God. Like, Oh wow! And anyway, so it was very clear that I should have made the next move. Still not hard. What the fuck, man? So, so the worst part was, I was just like, it wasn't happening. I was like, 
I just began slowly untying her. Like, <laughs> I, like nothing else. And then, like, once she was untied, I just sat next just to her. Silent. And she probably put like a hand on my shoulder. And I was like, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. Oh, and she probably would have said something like, well, that was really nice. But anyway, I did some Googling at that point because I, I, after she went that night, I was like, do I have like erectile dysfunction? And thank God I came across this page that was like, it was so good. It was like, erectile dysfunction can happen because of A, B, and C, D. But some, it literally said, sometimes though, your dick knows better than you. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And it hit me. I was like, of course. My dick was like, she hasn't, this is going to sound really egotistical or whatever, but she hasn't earned it. Like, hasn't earned my love. Because she's been cheating on me, she hasn't been treating me right, and so my dick's like, my brain wants she's to go, French. but my dick's like, no, yeah, my dick's like, she's French, no, we hate the French. <laughs> I think that's so true. I think so many men that suffer from having issues getting hard or staying hard, it's so mental. It yes. is so mental. And, and, and you know what? That's actually some of the hardest confidence work I've had to do on myself because it becomes a bit of like PTSD. You never forget it. Mm, and so whenever mm. I've gotten hard, soft with women later, I felt myself triggered. And then I've had to, in the moment, relax because you're never going to get hard again. If you don't relax, you have to go. Yeah. It's okay. It's part of the process rather than like stuttering and, and worrying and be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. It's just like, Oh, it's gone soft. Try, it's I almost like trying to fix it will only perpetuate yes. it. You have to stop Allow trying it. to fix it and just focus on the enjoyment be? and the touch yes. and the sensations. Like yes. I actually would be curious to know, um, there's a little bit of an echo. I don't know if that's coming from. Hmm. Um, yeah. I can have, can you hear my, can you hear me echoing? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that or you're just going a bit crazy. Are you, am I still playing through your headphones or am I playing through your computer? Oh, you're, no, you're playing through my headphones. It's not oh, my end, Kate. It's your end. Okay. Oh, that's going to bug me. All right. Well, um, what I was going to say is for women who are in that scenario with a, with a guy, I think that there's ways that you can make that worse. So I think if you're like, what's wrong? What do you need? Like if you bring attention to it in a way that makes it oh problematic God, yeah. or like some kind of barrier for your own enjoyment, like it's an issue, I think that that will exacerbate the problem. And, and I know that a lot of women would do this from the right place where it's like, how can I help? What do you need? Let me do something oh, for you. God. Like, And they like almost baby you and like they want to take yeah. care of you. And it's like, no, it needs to be like, oh, it's cool. It's ha it happens. Like eat me out or hey, like let's do this mm. instead. And it's almost like don't make the thing a thing. Because then you can just move on. The yeah, thing that I, find... I think works really well um, is dirty talk, which is yeah. hard because I think a lot of people aren't very well practiced with dirty yeah. talk. But it's like if you can start talking about other things, what you do is distract the thoughts that are currently in the way of the pleasure or the hard on. So it's like, hey, like I really liked it when you did this. Or could you imagine doing this with someone else? Imagine if we had another girl here or another guy here. Can you imagine this scenario? And you can just like, you know, talk about things and it just – distracts to the point where someone can focus enough on that that they forget about the problem which then oh. no longer persists okay like dirty things. talk is one of the most powerful things ever <laughs> oh my god yeah two things the first is i find the best remedy to help my boner is when a girl <laughs> will start sorry will help my soft my, my heart my hard loss if they start singing a disney theme tune <laughs> you're joking right now aren't you yeah. Okay. I'm I was really waiting to say grateful. That, that was 
That was awful. That She's was like, so bad. She's like, a whole bad. new world. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, good. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I can't even think of one of the songs. I can open I, I can show you the world. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, oh my God, keep going, keep going. Oh, oh my God. God, don't stop, don't stop. She's like, I don't know the lyrics. I'm like, don't stop. Just keep singing. Just sing the same line again. Okay, okay. Now I got now serious. Okay, here's something that I want to run by. You. I might edit that out. That was awful. <laughs> <laughs> That was at one minute 20 for reference. <laughs> okay. Here's something that I want to run by you around dirty talk is I was seeing this girl. I dare not give any, I don't think she'll listen to this. I assume she won't. So I won't put any names. <clears throat> so what was she doing? She might've put a finger up my ass. That's what she was doing. She definitely did. She definitely did. I still keep having moments of like, oh my God, this is, we're talking, I'm talking to my brother. <laughs> yeah, well, hey. Like, I know we're totally cool with talking about this stuff, but we just don't do it that often. I don't know. It, it feels fine. It feels fine. We talk about, we do that. We, we, we was like, you, me and Greg, we're always talking about weird stuff. Yeah, I guess so. I guess, I guess we're just leveling, leveling it up. People. Leveling up. Okay. But anyway, this is where it's weird. This is why I want to know. Like, this is where I want to know if Dirty Talk's acceptable or not. She, like, I don't know what she was doing. Like, we were having a break and we finished or whatever. And then she smelt her finger and she's like, mm, your ass. <laughs> okay. That's, like, not right, right? Okay. Here's the thing. I think you need to understand what people are into before you do something like that. Yeah, so, like, true, if someone's true, into true. that, then that's fine. You don't need to ex yuck someone's yum, which is one of my favorite phrases. Oh, However... <clears throat> don't yuck someone's yum. Yeah, but I true. think the issue is that, and dirty talk works well for this purpose as well. Dirty talk can be combined with consent or inquiry. So it can be like, hey, um, I'm really into this. Is that something that you're into? Or like, I'd really like to do this to you because you're a dirty little slut or whatever you want to say. Um, and so you kind of work in questions with your discussion, like, and you kind of play the dirty talk person role of I'm going to actually find out about what you're into at the same time um so it's just you asking them stuff but it's disguised as dirty talk That's so, so I think that like if you're into that kind of thing or you yeah. would like to say it because you think it would arouse your partner there mm. has to be a little bit of like a investigation that goes on first where it's mm. like I would like you know I would encourage people especially with like butt stuff it's like and I don't know why, especially with butt stuff, it's especially with any kind of touching. It's like gaining permission to do stuff is actually a really fun process. And it can be really mm. hot if it's like you don't do anything unless they say yes. That's a game that can be very quickly turned into a game, which is fucking fun. Hey, I'm going to ask you before I do anything to your body and you're going to give me a yes or a no. You're allowed mm. to say no at any point. And if you say no, I'll move on. And so then you create this little like kind of like power exchange. So it can be a fun play on thing. And like, especially with sleeping with someone quite early on, it's it's curious, it's playful, it's fun and sexy, mm. and you're figuring out what's okay and what's not okay. So you can go through that process. And then when it comes to like, hey, like she might not even have been into that, but she might've had a partner in the past who was really into like 
and I can't remember what it's called. There's a specific term for like when you're into like poo or pee stuff, like urine stuff. I just can't remember what they are. But um, she might have had a partner who was really into it. So when she said something like that to them, it was a really big turn on for them. Yeah. But that doesn't carry over to our other partners. So it's important that we just go about figuring it out. Like, hey, like, are you into butt stuff? Does that turn you on? Did you like it when I did that to you? And beyond that, like, is there anything else that you enjoy? Like, do you like to do X, Y, Z, giving examples? Mm. So, yeah, I don't think that it's like a bad thing that she did that. I think it might have been well-intentioned, but perhaps totally. perhaps it was something that you weren't expecting because, one, you hadn't, <laughs> you weren't prepared for it, and, two, it's not one of your kinks. So no. it doesn't apply not to yet. you. It's like, hey, yeah, <laughs> and maybe it it maybe for some people it is and they'll be like that's so fucking hot that she did that yeah. you know it's like yeah. a lot of guys love it when a girl cleans up their cum off their cock right so it's like that could be what she was playing on but just with us instead of cock i love what you said don't yuck somebody's yum don't yuck someone's yum it's just like what i was doing and what right do i have to do that yuck somebody's yum so should we talk and, about and in the same now? way, like if she oh. said something like that to you and then you said, no, I'm not really into that. Like that doesn't really turn me on. Is that something that you like? She's like, yeah, that's something that I like. I can't believe that you don't like it. She's now yucking your yum. So mm. any judgment either way is, is, is judgment, right? It's, it's judgment and it's not, it doesn't do anything for anybody. What was I've got a lot to learn there. Get, uh, should we talk about the kids now? <laughs> That, I think, I think we're actually show? probably at a, good, a pretty good point where we can yeah. finish. We can wrap it up. Things got yeah. pretty deep. Things went really interesting, actually. I'm glad that I they think went so on the too. little journey that they went on. Um, so that was cool. I, I like the things. The things that I wrote down was um, the goal because we were talking about, like, the goal being ultimately um, – the goal being too much – what am I trying to say? If we place happiness on the goal, on the other side of the goal, the, the goal will feel not – the way you wanted it to feel like, right. Like it's like that whole idea of like the goal being, being too much of a focus is a problem. Um, I wrote down the hard times and 50, 50, because I think what you said really nicely is you were like, we were talking about the, the tests, like the marshmallow test stuff. And you kind of expanded on that. And I really like, that was when you said, what would James Gordon do? Cause the hard times present us with, with good challenge. Like it's not bad challenge, it's challenge and it's actually quite beneficial to us. And what I like about it is that the better that we are at dealing with the challenges that come up, the better we are overall, because I think a lot of people assume that we should just be good in absence of challenge. Like, it's like when I start a diet, I'm going to start it when I don't have a holiday, when I don't have Christmas, when I don't have birthdays, when I don't have stressful period at work, when it's not a Tuesday, when it's not the weekend. It's like, we just assume that we should do it when the time is right. And in absence of any other kind of challenge that I have to deal with. And it's like, well, unfortunately, nutrition doesn't happen in the perfect environment. And it has to happen in the worst possible environment. And it's the same thing with training. It's like create the worst environment to train in. Because when you're out in a competitive environment that's not even as bad as the worst environment you're training in, you're going to be superior to other people. So it's like prepare in a horrible circumstance, a horrible environment, give yourself as much challenge as possible in order to be the best. And it kind of applies to everything. It's like you actually don't want the perfect environment. You actually don't want the perfect 
lineup of life circumstance. You actually want the chaos and the mess. You want the challenges. You want the inner voices. You want all that because you need that for your hero's journey. You need that to be the person that you want to be. This identity that you're assuming, they didn't become the person they were easily. And so you need the challenges. And you said it before, the hard times are have to exist because without the hard times, we don't have the good times. And every challenge that you're faced with only makes the good times better. So as hard as they are, as shitty as it can be, as awful as those tests might feel in the moment, if you can get through it, the other side of that is fucking amazing. So it's almost like when you start to have the mindset of like, give me the worst, give me, give me all you got because I know that it's going to become really good afterwards. And then there'll be another bad another bad phase, another bad patch. Cool. Give me all you got again. I want worse. I want, I want more because then I know the other side, there's, there's all these things I'm going to get out of it. So I think the whole thing like of you want challenge is a nice mindset as well. Um, those are the notes that I wrote. And then we started getting into the sex stuff, which was super interesting. I really liked talking about yeah. like your practices um, and the experiences that you've had. And I definitely think that there is a niche for men with this stuff and just being able to talk about it. Anxiety. Absolutely. Hard loss. It's going to be the hard loss program. Hard loss loss program. (laughs) Getting comfortable. Winning in the hard loss and the hard loss. Maybe it should be like, yeah, there's so many good names that you can have. Um, yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I really like where that went. And I think we've come to a, probably a natural end. Yes. Well done. Uh, also, I wanted to say before we finish, my brother's a life coach, by the way, everyone, <laughs> which is why we actually ended up having yeah. this conversation. We always have really interesting conversations mm-hmm. and I have for a long time been like, fuck, we should turn this into a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was on his first podcast the other week and it was Ooh. really good. It was too short. She makes such yeah, short no. podcasts. I was like, ah, no. oh, like you got into some good stuff in that amount of time, but it was, it was very quick. Um, no. So yeah. So you're actually stealing a lot of my clients. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that's great. what I'm going to say. Thank you. Kate. You've <laughs> been a lifeline. Cause when I was in my deep, like, this year you really say came along and sent me some clients that helped me stay afloat it's, i keep seeing them pop up on your thing and i'm like that motherfucker you know what i love it because my they're like okay oh, I, I think it's time for me to cancel um I, I loved being with you but i think it's just i'm ready to go out on my own and then like a week oh. later they're like i'm with james and it's fabulous but i love it because my clients are like well our, our clients they're like, I love having, I've got both sides. They get the best yeah, of both yeah. worlds. I, I think slide. what happens as well is like the food stuff exposes the big stuff. Like people think that they come to us with food problems, but like you said, like the results are a product of your beliefs. And so we end up talking about their beliefs and, and their behaviors and who they think they are and the way they talk about themselves. And suddenly they expose like all this shit going on. And they're like, I think I need more than just a nutrition coach. <laughs> I should just, I can just funnel people to you now. Yeah. Honestly, I'll give you a cut of what they pay me. Can't you do that? <laughs> we'll be uh, a so ha- yeah, James. James is the heroes coach uh, on Instagram. What's your website? Um, www.theheroescoach.com. Oh, just dot com. Dot com. Theheroescoach.com. Um, and yeah, you're you're all over the social medias with your Facebook group as well now. Yeah. Uh, well, How's that I'm been going? Really- I'm leaving. No, I had a bad time with my old coach. He tried to put me on Facebook on everything. And it was a nightmare. So, but now my new coach, I'm just on Instagram. That's where it's at. Yeah. Okay. Just focusing on one, in one area. But if anyone's interested in building their confidence in themselves or stepping into the authenticity, if they're like, 
I work especially with people pleasers. So it's mm -hmm. like if you feel like you're you're only operating at 10, 20% of who you really are and you feel like a shadow of yourself and you know that there's more, you just don't know how to step into that, come have a conversation because that's the conversation we have and we have you step into that power, that beauty, that grace, that And you do quite uh, long form calls, right? Like you do an you do yeah, an initial yeah. free call with people and then you do like ninety like a sixty to ninety. Oh, I kill it. Like I do I I I've never met a coach who does the lengths that I do. Because I've always found that I was working for an hour a session. I was like, this isn't enough. Like this does you barely get into it. And I find a lot of coaches go over. So I do my initial um, discovery sessions are two hours long. Like it's deep. So we do oh, wow. five months of work in twelve weeks. It's like yeah. crazy. I just yeah. It's I, I don't get why coaches can only do it. I think if you're a master coach like Tony Robbins or whoever, you can do it in an hour. But I think mm -hmm. any coach that's done under five years of work, you can't do less than an hour with a client. They just do it so they can get more sessions. But it's like, no, we want to get your results faster and save you money and actually get to the depth that you need in a session. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my It'll basis is to see how that goes. The length, I, how the length I, of your sessions I, It'll probably get shorter as I get better. But um, for now, I'm like, I love it because coaching is about the relationship, right? You, you don't and just you're a big conversationalist as well. Oh, like, God, like, well, you got to dive into it. you got to you got to explore mm. and you find the metaphors. Mm. And when you find a metaphor, that's where you have power. Mm. Well, I'm going to head out. I'm actually going to go and inspect a building because I'm potentially going to get a space for filming content, which is going to be fucking exciting. It's a new move with the business. Cool. It's kind of cool. Um, I went and looked at a space like a couple of weeks ago and it was, it was a really nice space. It was such a good price, but it had a massive mezzanine that I could kind of work with, but I just prefer like a really high ceiling because I I need like mm. CrossFit rigs and rings and ropes yeah. and shit like that. So yeah. it would you be a little bit limiting. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, what would be cool is it would be like a little filming studio. So like you could come up and film some content, and I'll have like I've got a really good videographer here and do some fun stuff. So yeah. I'll do my hard loss program there. Yeah. <laughs> Bring all the <laughs> Oh, oh no. Yeah, well we'll find some people. I'm... These are my softies. These are my softies. <laughs> oh no. Oh that, my god. Like for hard men who You really have to check your ego soft. when you come into this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Thank you well, for jumping on the phone. Right, I love you. Anything. I love you. Bye. <laughs> Talk soon.